Hey, what's up? This is Sam Haft, and I'm hanging out with Rob on Front Row Live. What's up, guys? Rob here, Front Row Live Entertainment, and I'm hanging out here with Sam Haft, and I'm so excited because I was there at that debut solo show, and I, I want to know, like, for you, being able to come from, like, this full band project to doing this yourself and doing this first performance yourself, like, what was that vibe like and that that experience like for you leading up to it and during it as well yeah i mean all <laughs> all all my friends and colleagues know i was just terrified honestly like i was i was an anxious mess leading up to it because for some reason the stakes feel different mm -hmm. where you know here with uh, my work with the living tombstone it feels like my expectations are like from there to there whereas starting something new like i'm starting all the way back down here and it's like man there are going to be all these people in the room that don't know me yet oh i really need to impress them and all of this stuff that like i haven't really had to think about because i haven't been an emerging artist in such a long time and it's it's kind of it was sort of an electrifying challenge honestly why would you want to do something like this where you step out and do your solo stuff knowing that, you know, you've worked so hard to get to where the band is already and that success is already there. So what made you want to go, you know, take us take a step back and basically start all over again? Well, uh, you know, this EP really arose from an idea that I needed to challenge myself because my partner in The Living Tombstone who founded it, Yoav, he is, I mean, truly a prodigious genius uh, technical music producer and as a result I have to do almost zero production in all of our work and so it started with just this seed of an idea of like man I really should be doing more production because it just you know to be an artist doing what I'm doing I just feel like I should be exercising that muscle more than I have to right. because like it's for the living tombstone stuff. Like, why would I be doing it? He is a <laughs> genius. Like, they, of course he's going to do it. Right. Um, and so it just started with that. And then it was this question of like, well, if I were to do something for myself, like what would it sound like? What would it even be? Yeah. Because so much of the musical identity that I think about either has to do with, well, what, makes sense and fits in the box for the living tombstone mm -hmm. or my work for you know like cartoon shows like a uh, hell of a boss or has been hotel wherein you know the song the song's identity is already prescribed i need to make a rock song from this character's perspective in the style of panic at the disco or something yeah. like that where i already know what's going to come out of it whereas I didn't really have a sense of what was just kind of inside me yeah. uh, of like what left to my own devices. No one's telling me what to do. There's no box of like, well, what makes this a good living tombstone song? Mm -hmm. Where do I go from there? And just the kind of the, the scary blank slate of it all. And I think the EP kind of comes from that musical identity crisis in some ways. Well, at the same time, it's like, it's kind of scary trying to figure out what your sound is. Yeah. So did you come into this uh, Bad Times EP, which is out now, you guys can check that out, but did you come into this writing session like already with a theme in mind, but not knowing what that sound was going to be like? Absolutely not. And actually, I like the first thing I did, in, I believe I actually wrote them all in chronological order too. It didn't, you know, it didn't go that way intentionally that I was like, oh, I'm going to write this one and then this one comes next. I just happened to write them in the order that just made the most sense for the EP. Mm -hmm. 
but the first one I wrote uh, in like the middle of the night, I just like woke up and got out of bed and got on my Suzuki Omnicord and was like, oh, wait a minute, here's an idea for a song. And it was like so not a Living Tombstone song. It was so not appropriate for anything I had done up until that point. And it just was like, whoa, hold on, wait a minute. Here's this idea of like uh, a narrative about like alienation and the end of a relationship. And it just really got me thinking. And my training as an artist is, uh, I went to school to be a playwright. So I think of things in a very storytelling sense. And so I was like, well, what is the rest of this story? What are the other perspectives of this story? How can we follow the other people that exist in the world of this story? And that was kind of what the rest of Bad Times grew out of. Dang, it's 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 cool when you're like coming from that background of being a playwright to now kind of writing these songs. Did it feel like it was easier to be able to take us, the listener, into this situation, into this moment? Or did you feel like it was more of a challenge because now there was music involved, there was singing involved, there was vocal ranges involved? You know, I think actually the fact that I came into this first as like a writer and then as a musician uh, has been more of an advantage than a disadvantage. Uh, Cause there was definitely a version of my life where I like just did music all the way through. Like that was one of the places I almost went to college was Berkeley. And I was like, oh, do I do this? Do I pursue this path? And then I ended up going to school to, to write instead. And I had just kind of like written off music for a number of years and just focused on being the best and most interesting writer I could be. And I think, the the ability that that has given me to kind of just like tap into like well this is a story i know stories and has has made the made the rest of the ep go by i mean the whole thing was probably written in under under 30 days uh i was getting scared i thought you were gonna say 30 minutes and then then i would have been like (laughs) yeah but but i mean like the whole thing it just came out so fast because once one of the pieces were there it was like oh well then logically it should be either this or this and then it was almost like the way like a screenwriter would break a story was the way i thought about structuring the album and the songs that would be there so it at no point was i like you know what I am going to make this album about this. But once the first song existed, I was like, okay, how do we feel? What is the rest of this look like? And that became much easier approaching from a a perspective of a storyteller than it would be just from like, well, I got to write four more songs. What are those songs? Did you, that first song that you wrote, did it basically present itself or, or did you find yourself like having to write this, this kind of topic or this kind of theme? Ooh, uh, you know, I I don't know, like, the, the first song, well, I mean, all the songs I wrote actually in, I want to say 2021, like, summer of 2021. And if, from there, it's just been kind of a journey to, like, getting it ready. Yeah. Uh, but I think I was just kind of sulking, honestly. I think I was probably just sulking that evening and just like thinking about times that I felt like uncool or inadequate or insecure. And the first thing that I thought of was I, you know, I 
pulled out the Omnicord and I thought of the first line of the first song of the album, which was like, never cool enough for your art, art school friends, mm. which was like a moment that I remembered thinking in my 20s that like I was meeting all of these like cool artsy kids who and I felt like such a loser, like just at like parties and everyone had stuff to say to each other and like doing blow and stuff and I'm just and I'm just felt like such a dork and that from that like really germinated the entire rest of the thing like it as you say like it presented itself as opposed to like oh geez I really gotta write this one song and then the rest of it will come it just like it just blasted out of me (laughs) what would you say was like a challenge during this process because 30 days is really quick to write a whole EP um so did you feel that like you were challenged more in like the recording aspect the the vocals and singing aspect the instrumentation aspect like where do you feel that challenge was where was the bad times at yeah I mean I I think there were a lot of like crises of confidence that happened during it and I think ultimately one of those crises was what led me to the second track being sung by a different artist CG5 Uh, and originally, you know, that first track rooftop too, I had heavily modulated my voice and I like lowered the formant on it. And it was just kind of a way that it felt like I was disguising myself. And that was something that I really had to get over where I had to just kind of be like, no, this is me. This is my output. These are my thoughts and my feelings and I need to just put myself out there. And I feel like I had a lot of walls up at the beginning of this process where I, I just kind of thought I could get away with making an EP, but, but being defensive about it and like keeping the EP at arm's length from my actual like thoughts and feelings and being associated with me as an artist. And I think that's, it's a scary thing. The idea that like, if people don't like this, they don't like me. And I think that was one of the things that was preventing me from getting super invested in it and super vulnerable as I made it was I was, I was so scared of the idea that like, if someone were to, because if someone were to reject a song from the living tombstone, it's like, yeah, but that's an entity mm-hmm. or a song that I wrote for, for someone else's yeah, show. Yeah. But that's that project, you know, uh, whereas this, it would just feel like me personally being rejected. And I was scared of that. And I was scared of expressing myself and my vulnerabilities and all that. So there were little ways that I was, was noticed. I was kind of disguising myself or keeping myself at arm's length that I had to really get rid of other than CG five singing grow up. Because like by the time that happened, it was just like the song felt right. It felt right for the song. And at that point, me going, well, yeah, but I really need to be myself. It felt like I would actually be taking the song a step back quality wise, because most of the record is sung in a very baritonal range and grow up is a fairly high song. And that like, I, I think I wanted to keep myself in that really kind of comfortable lower range. Whereas that, that, song I think it just shines with his vocals on it and like uh, you know it it almost felt like saying yeah well this needs to be like the me show it, it felt selfish honestly it felt you know the song demanded a different kind of vocalist than I am 
And I and I do I do notice like how this is the the, the brighter song compared to like the rest of the record because of the the baritone voice. Um, why is it that that's your comfortable your 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 way of singing like your comfortable way of singing the baritone? Is that something that you've always been used to, um, especially with uh, with your band, or is this you know are you do you feel like you're still in fear of trying to pursue new vocal ranges? I think part of it was. It, who I am as a vocalist wasn't something I ever thought of. When I came up like as a struggling artist in New York City, my big gig was like voiceover work. And I did a ton of that, like commercial voiceovers and cartoons and that kind of thing. And so I've always been comfortable with a number of, you know, being a bit of a vocal chameleon. Yeah. Um, and certainly on The Living Tombstone, most of what I do, most of what I do is much higher in pitch. Uh, but in working on this EP, I had to think like, what what do I sound like? I need to have a sound that someone could listen to and go, oh, that's Sam Haft's voice, as opposed to just, you know, oh, well, I'll do whatever will work on the song. You know, I needed to start building music around a vocal identity and that more baritonal, more kind of moody voice came out in the songwriting process and I thought, you know, like this actually I think really works for me. And maybe this is, you know, what my voice is. So I feel like this whole experience was just like a natural process. So it wasn't you trying to be someone else. It wasn't you trying to focus on a particular lane or a particular sound. It was just like whatever came out, that's what you wanted us to listen to. Totally. And I think I've spent so much time professionally having to be someone else that it made it so challenging and exciting and difficult at times to figure out like who I am really, you know, as an artist, like what, how would you, how would you describe who I am as an artist? How would you describe my voice? How would you describe my look? How would you describe my vibe? Like all of that stuff. I've never really had to think about, even though I spend so much time thinking about like, hmm, what is our identity with stuff like The Living Tombstone? I just never, it it felt like kind of selfish or self-aggrandizing to focus it on myself. And at some point I realized like, oh, this isn't me going, oh no, I'm just, you know, I'm just being selfless. This is actually me being defensive and figuring out, oh my God, I need to be vulnerable and just like be me. And from there, pick up the pieces of like, oh, that's what I am. And I think that, yeah, it, I, it's a musical identity crisis in a lot of ways. But I think it's resolved itself into something that like now I feel really, really inspired to create as, you know, the Sam Haft solo project. Right. Because I feel like I am now getting a hang of who I am as a soloist. Would you have done anything different if you knew this now uh, when you started working on the CP? Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. I think I would have written songs in a in a different way. Um, and and like I I'm I'm a person who like does not like to have regrets because also I think I'm a very happy person. Yeah. And the idea that like oh I would go back and change anything that would change who I am in the moment that I'm in now I would never do that. But I do think after doing the show that you came to Mm -hmm. and having to sort of adapt these songs to be played live, I would have spent more time thinking about that Mm -hmm. because there was no part of me when I was making this that thought this wasn't just going to be recorded music. But now after doing the EP show, I was like, man, you know, 
I think I need to be writing more in a sense of like, well, there are these people on stage with me and I need to be writing for them just as much as I'm writing for me, as opposed to, you know, just coming out with a microphone and like a track plays. I think there's something so much more dynamic about like live music and a live band. And that is something that is now very, very present in my songwriting for myself is how am I going to play this? Not just how am I going to record it? Sounds like you were just putting yourself in a box and trying to keep yourself there, mm-hmm. uh, which is scary. It, yeah. It's scary when you, when you come from a group or, or a duo and then you move into doing it yourself, even though you do have a band there on stage with you, oh, yeah. but it's still the focus is you. So I, I can only imagine what that's like, what that process is like during this writing process or even the recording process. What did you learn about yourself um, as far as like being a performer now that you were like, okay, this is getting real. Like this EP is about to drop. I got to I got to put some shows. I got to do some performances. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've I've learned that I need to really like uh, that I'm not done connecting with people, <laughs> honestly, because I think there's a thing when you're in your 30s, which I am, uh where you kind of get this moment where you're like, "You know what? I have enough friends." Uh, and (laughs) all right. So I'm not alone in this. (laughs) That's a normal feeling where, you know, I feel like your twenties that those are years where you're like, I need everybody to like me. And I reached a point where I'm like, I have enough. I I love the people who like me and like, that's enough people in my life. (laughs) And the idea of putting myself out there again was, was kind of like a, well, why would I do that? I have all the people that I like around. Uh, and the idea, of going up on stage and what ended up happening going up on stage for the EP show and like feeling really like I connected with people and connected with the audience I, I part of that was like I had just forgotten how exciting that is and how exhilarating that is to connect with people through music that way because uh as I've as I have learned in preparing for the solo show when I go on stage with Yoav for the Living Tombstone in a sense, we are kind of each other's safety blanket. You know, we're performing for them, but in a certain way, we're kind of performing for each other and we're playing off each other Mm -hmm. and we're just kind of hanging out up there and being besties. Whereas here, like, there is no, you know, I've got my band around me and they're awesome, but it's not the same kind of thing where just like we're palling around on stage. It's very much all my energy is focused out at them and and it's it i don't know it was just so exciting yeah it's not just youtube now there's like audience right there live listening and singing along yeah and and especially coming up as an internet creator too the the feedback you get is so delayed and it's like it's through screens and walls and that kind of stuff where even if you drop something and the the release and the the reception is really really good you know, you're still like, you're reading internet comments, you know, you're not, (laughs) you're like watching a number on a screen get higher. It's not the same thing as like locking eyes with someone and being like, I'm having feelings. You are now having them too. Let's have feelings together. That is awesome. Yeah, that really is. And I feel like that motivates you for more music. Although like you're already, it sounds like you're already working on more music, which I guess there comes a point in, when you're the when being the artist is kind of difficult not that it isn't already but it's difficult because 
for you, you've had this album since 2021. Yeah. You've been listening to this music since then. Now we just finally heard it for two weeks and you're ready to work on, you know, to move forward on something new, but like you still have to stay on this era, on this lane. Um, that can be so hard. That can be like when you're like, well, I have these other songs. And, and, but uh, but I mean, part of the thing that's made this like really cha changed that from me feeling just antsy, like, oh, I just want to get to the next thing is getting to kind of witness the reception yeah. of this and get to see people like face to face, really enjoying the music, yeah. getting to hear people reach out who I haven't heard from in ages being like, oh, my God, I listened to your record. It's great. Like that kind of stuff has allowed me to appreciate the moment more yeah. as opposed to just being like, okay, next record. <laughs> well, you do have to let us appreciate the moment. I was actually worried when you said, this is a new song that I'm working on my next thing here. I'm about to play it. And I was like, Oh crap. Because if I really like this song, I'm going to have to wait till it really drops. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this EP just dropped. Oh, yeah. So it, it's one of those things where I was like, slow down. Sam, slow down. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like that, man, that song was the first song I wrote for the the companion piece to this EP. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, like looking at it as a storyteller, where first I have the song and I'm like, well, what does the rest of this piece look like? And now taking Bad Times itself and saying, what does the rest of Bad Times look like? Yeah. How does that get expanded into something bigger and grander? And the LP that's following Bad Times is one that's called End Times, which is the one that that song that I previewed, which is called The Big Crumble, is from. And it, that and, and really was one of the things that kind of changed my brain about songwriting mm -hmm. in terms of I need to write for a band. And this is all Mitski's fault, basically, because I went to see a Mitski show and I was like, man. I, I have a love-hate relationship with Mitski uh -oh. because of the same thing. It's yeah. like... Everything is different. It, you, you know, it's okay. <laughs> like, I don't even know how to explain it. Yeah. I mean, it must have felt like seeing talking heads in the 80s at <laughs> like, just like, oh my God, like I'm thinking about music in a wildly different way. And part of it too was like being a huge fan of her last couple records. Yeah. Uh, and oh my, she's dropping one, I think tonight. I'm so excited. Uh, <laughs> but uh, being the, a huge fan of those records and listening to them so much and then seeing them live yeah. and seeing the ways in which they were transformed and more dynamic or in some ways sounded almost exactly the same because the songs were written to be played like this mm -hmm. made me go, oh, my God, I need to like I need to put myself in more of a box than I have, where it's not like, well, I have infinity instruments <laughs> and infinity musicians and instead say like, how would a six piece do this? Mm -hmm. And that has made my songwriting so much more focused and different. And, uh, and that was the thing that like made me immediately kick off writing this next record, End Times, which is if, if Bad Times is about different points of view of the ends of one relationship, End Times is about different points of view on the end of everything. It, crumble. Crumble, <laughs> yes. The big crumble. It's coming. And I really love that new direction um, because it's it's a big evolution from this EP alone. And it's and it's so quick, right? Like, and I, And that's one of the things that really drew my attention because the cadence of that song was just pure perfection. Thank you. I was like, this, you, you know, I, I can't say that it reminded me of anyone, which is awesome. But it's just like, I feel like you are starting to create something 
new that either hasn't been heard before or maybe it has been heard in the ba- in the past but didn't really make it because you know it was wrong time for it but yeah just the cadence for this song was just like i need more of this thank you so much i mean i th- a big inspiration for that record is i i have a 15 year old stepson mm. and engaging with like the youngest end of gen z and like seeing the way they like look at the world and yeah. look at society it's i i have never seen people first of all have a better sense of humor and simultaneously less hope for the future and it's unbelievable to watch because it is this dadaist nihilist sense of humor mm. that is like you know oh, well, it's just an assumption like, well, of course the world's ending. The world is ending. It's the end of the world and the end of society and we're all living through it and it's terrible. And still, while still having fun and like really, you know, having the best time that they can have. Um, And I, it was just so, it like blew my mind. And there's a line in The Big Crumble, which you will hear sooner than later because that is the first single of it. And I'm, I'm, I'm calling my shot. Babe Ruth right here. The Big Crumble. Um, There's a line, uh, do you remember hope and you say nope and it's just that it's like the idea that like they there is no I I remember like the optimism of the end of the 90s of being like this is as good as we're gonna have it forever and and the way the world has changed and like there is none of that that you know like he was born in 2008 so like financial crisis birth like here i am in a world where like the economy's wrecked global warming's a nightmare like all of that stuff and the idea that like you there's still so much to explore out of it like the end is not a period it's kind of like a dot 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 and exploring that as a project has been so so exciting although again i don't mean to do the exact thing you talked about where it's like bad times is out let's talk about end times Uh, but it's just so exciting to see bad times itself become the germ of something bigger. And then maybe that becomes the germ of something even bigger as well. I'm glad you said that right now, because I was worried that we were just going to talk about the the future. (laughs) But we will talk about the future right now because Afterburn is about to drop a music video and you just had an incredible video shoot with that. Uh, Tell me a little bit about this video and, you know, what was it about this concept that really drew your attention for this song? So I I wanted to do something. I, I knew what I wanted the video for Afterburn to look like. Well, actually, I had a first idea, which was like too expensive and too nerdy, really, uh, because I think of Afterburn as a song in some ways about emotional terrorism. And I and there was just this weird thought I had about I'm a I'm a fan of anime. Uh, there is uh, a great anime movie based on a series, which is called Cowboy Bebop, Knocking on Heaven's Door. I'm nerding out for you. Uh, and there's sort of an intergalactic space terrorist in that. And I and the the vibe of the video, at first I thought, oh my God, let me do a video that's kind of about this character and serves as an homage to this thing I really love, but also like really presents the themes of the song really well. And eventually the only thing I kept from that, I was like, I got to cut that down. I got to cut that down. Budget, 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 budget. (laughs) The only thing I kept from that was fire. And the idea that uh, I could sing the song in a space 
that would burn down throughout the song. And it, and it, it, I mean, it was the first thing I thought was like, can I do this for real? And the answer is no. I mean, the answer is yes with like a lot of money. You don't seem like the guy that would do CGI for this. I think I feel like you're the guy that would actually be there while everything is burning down. That w- don't don't get me wrong. That would have been my preference. Um, but the way that we ended up doing this is unbelievable. So. The first thing we had to do was create a digital version of me um, and, like, create this incredibly detailed scan that I would then motion capture myself, motion capture my own face, deep fake my own face onto my face. So that way I could suddenly be in an, an environment that we had complete control over. And so the number of layers that you see are like, first, there is me performing the video, which I then do wearing like a full, like skin tight motion capture suit. Then there's me performing it just as a face into uh, something called uh, Unreal Engine 5's MetaHuman Creator, which creates sort of digital, which allows you to basically puppet a realistic looking face using the movements of your own face. Okay. Like a much, much more uh, advanced version of like a Snapchat lens. Okay. Uh, and then from there, then it was creating an incredibly detailed multi-lighting environment version of my own face as a deep fake, then a 3D scan of my head. <laughs> yeah, so that the, the head I would puppet is a 3D scan of my own head. But then on the 3D head would be a deep fake of the actual footage of my own face singing the song. It's there's the number of layers of trickery involved in this. It's astonishing. Um, but it's it all comes together in the really great, you know, I I think the future of music videos, or at least the present of music videos, is the one shot. And, uh, you know, more and more people are just finding a really engaging one shot than they are like, oh, well, let's spend all this money and make this incredibly complex. And, yeah, and, and exactly. It's people. There's something much more engaging about I am looking you in the eye and I'm going to keep eye contact for the entire song. And uh, so the idea to fake a one shot and now that we're we've created this sort of digital version of me in this digital version of an environment that is burning down. We can also fake the camera into essentially basically like handheld iPhone footage. And the way that all those little tricks come together in a way that I think really sells it quite well. Uh, I'm so excited for everyone to see. And, and by the way, this is all the work of one artist, Brielle Garcia, who is a genius and, uh, you know, working with her, we started conceptualizing this at the end of March. And then we went in and we shot in studio and like shot all these really detailed scans and so on. Uh, it, it was just, it's so exciting. And I think the effect of this video and the way that it's going to really sell what it is to people who haven't just watched me tell you everything uh, is, I, I couldn't be more excited for it. I'm even more excited to watch it. I was already, and this is just exciting me even more. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm like, that's that must, I was going to say, like that must have taken like this entire year to create. So you said March. That sounds about right. 
yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a long process, but it just watching the various iterations of this and like showing clips of it to my wife, who's like, "That is so freaky. That is looks exactly like which you. one's That's me." So <laughs> yeah, and it is like it is strange to watch yourself and know that it's not yourself. Uh, well, I mean, in a lot of ways it is because it is a motion capture of my performance and it is a facial capture of my performance. And yet it's not me. It's so like there's something like just a little bit creepy about it, which I love because I feel like aesthetically this album has just a, a dash of horror in it. And I think it helps at like the tiniest bit of Uncanny Valley actually kind of helps this be a little bit creepier. <laughs> That's crazy. I I'm looking forward to this. This this video drops when? That's a very good question. It will be out by the time this interview is out. Perfect. Well, I'm super excited that we finally got to talk. I'm excited that I got to experience that first debut solo show for from you. I'm looking forward to seeing more. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, I am so excited to inviting you to the next one. Perfect. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. And yeah. thank you so much for hanging out. You guys, be sure to check out Sam Haft. Bad Times EP is out now, and uh, thanks for watching our Front Row Live. Hey, it's Rob again. If you enjoyed this interview, please follow for more, and I invite you to head over to my YouTube channel, Front Row Live ENT, where I have thousands of video interviews with my favorite new and established artists. Once again, thank you for tuning in, and have a great night.